You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates. That all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you. To see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages. Creator. Author. Victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people. And it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained. Overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Welcome to the program today. This is Zion's Redemption Radio Network, or Fundamentally Mormon. Uh, guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. Today we're going to be reading The Missouri Miscarriage, Chapter 6 of the United Order, pages 70 to 84, and I'll just get right into this reading right now. I received by a heavenly vision a commandment in June following to take my journey to the western boundaries of the state of Missouri 
and there designate the very spot which was to be the central place for the commencement of the gathering together of those who embrace the fullness of the everlasting gospel. Joseph Smith, Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 79. While the saints in Kirtland were attempting to live a united order, the Lord gave a revelation concerning the land of promise which would have no curse when the Lord cometh. The place had not been revealed, but if they would gather to Ohio, they would be informed of this Zion. Later it was revealed that the new Jerusalem, or the holy city, the capital of the government of God, would be located in Jackson County, Missouri. The Lord also revealed that this Zion could not be established except by obedience to the law of consecration. Another united order was attempted in Missouri, and the prophet Joseph Smith dedicated a site for the temple of the New Jerusalem at Independence, Missouri. See Doctrine and Covenants section 58, verses 61 through 74. The saints began to get began to move in mass into Missouri where land was purchased for a dollar twenty five an acre. Many began consecrating their property to receive their stewardship. Here the city of Zion should be built. Not only was it the site for the gathering, it was also revealed as a location of the Garden of Eden. Actually that's not true. It was not revealed as the site for the Garden of Eden. It is where Adam and Diamon is. It is where the last great sacrament of Adam was held before he was translated. Or, uh, well, in the scriptures it says he died, but um, in the Old Testament it says he died. That's The word can be translated or, uh, or died, but he was translated at the end of his life. Adam was... Um, Adam Anandayaman, or Jackson County, was where he went to when he went eastward out of Eden. So the Garden of Eden was west of that. And I know that the Garden of Eden was actually in the Rocky Mountain area, not in Missouri. So it's just a, a common misunderstanding. People read what Joseph Smith said, and then they will, for some reason, because this uh, false doctrine has been taught so often, they'll just read right into it what they have been told instead of what it actually says. But Adam and Andiamen was where they went to when they left Eden and went eastward. Anyway, continuing on. Indeed, the doctrine teaches that God has been especially solicitous of this land, keeping it as an inheritance for the chosen nationalism of uh, nationalism is further expressed in their assumption of the role of Israel. They identified themselves literally with ancient Israel and therefore became the chosen people who were to inherit the chosen land. And quote the Mormon village by Nelson, page 34. Joseph Smith quoted the prophet Enoch, which was actually a prophecy of the Lord, quote, to gather out mine own elect from the four quarters of the earth unto a place which I shall prepare a holy city, and it shall be called Zion, a new Jerusalem. Teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 84. 
The city of Zion was built according to a specific plan. The plan provided that all people should live in the city, that the city should be a mile square, that the block should contain 10 acres cut into half-acre lots allowing 20 houses to the block, and that the streets should be eight rods wide and intersect each other at right angles and run north and south, east and west, and that the middle uh, tier of the block should be 50% wider than the others. Three of these were to be used for schools, churches, and public buildings. The stables and barns should be on the outside of the city, and that the farmland should be laid off north and south of the city, and that no lot should contain more than one house, that all houses should be back 25 feet from the street, and some other specifications. Several towns were laid out according to this plan, with the center modifications in the Middle West, including Kirtland, Ohio, 1834, Far West, 1836, and in Missouri, and also Nauvoo, Illinois, 1837. The part of the city of Zion thus became a foundation for the settlements of the Mormons in the Great Basin in the Salt Lake City being the first village established in 1847, and quote the Mormon village by Nielsen, page 38. At first, the law of consecration was generally accepted by the saints in Missouri. Land was cheap, and the Lord instructed them to purchase the whole region of country as soon as time would permit, and then add that, behold, here is wisdom. Let them do this, lest they receive none inheritance, save it be by the shedding of blood. Doctrine and Covenants, section 58, verses 52 through 53. The Apostle Orson Pratt said that, quote, It would appear from this that unless the whole region should be purchased by the saints, that they were to receive none inheritance there. And at the same time, an intimation was given that unless the saints were faithful and expeditious to do this, there would be a shedding of blood. And quote the New Jerusalem by Pratt, page 16. With land so cheap and with so many Mormons moving onto the land, making it more valuable, many of the saints took advantage of the old Gentile philosophy to buy cheap and sell high. They were motivated motivated by the temple prophet rather than gaining an eternal inheritance. The Lord saw this and warned them that the rebellious shall be cut off out of the land of Zion and shall be sent away and shall not inherit the land. Doctrine and Covenants, section 64, verse 35. Because he decreed that my law shall be kept on this land, Doctrine and Covenants, section 58, verse 19, the prophet Joseph Smith wrote a letter to the saints in Missouri and warned them also that if Zion will not purify herself so as to be approved of in all things in his sight, he will seek another people, for his work will go on until Israel is gathered, and they who will not hear his voice must expect to feel his wrath. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 1, page 316. All of this was given as a warning to the saints at the time when everything was peaceful in Jackson County, Missouri. The saints were greedy after the temporal things, and within two and a half years of their settling the land of Zion, 
these words of these prophecies were fulfilled. Since the saints failed to keep the law of the United Order, they suffered the consequences. The Apostle Orson Pratt explained what happened. Quote, Did the people carry out this law? Why? Because they had imbibed in the notion which had prevailed among the people of the whole earth, and these notions were in direct opposition to the order of heaven. The notion and traditions of the world were that every man must be for himself and every family for themselves, and they must labor with all their might, mind, and strength to gain all they possess, all they possibly could gain. Hold on here. And use only for themselves their generations after them, caring nothing about all of their neighbors. These traditions had been instilled into our minds, and we were too full of covetousness and false notions about property to carry out the law of God. And hence many, when they came up to Zion, looked abroad upon the beautiful rich soil and the excellent groves of timber and the fine prairies and meadows with springs breaking forth in numerous places, as they do in Jackson County, and their souls lusted after these things. And the rich men said, No, I will, I will not consecrate my property. I will go to the general land office and purchase for myself, and I will buy largely in order that I may sell to my poor brethren. When they come up here, I will buy land and speculate upon it and make my fortune. That was the feeling which existed in the hearts of some of the Latter-day Saints. And quote, Journal of Discourses, volume 16, page 5. It would have been well for the saints to have considered the admonition of Paul, who said, quote, well, we, bought, we were, hold on here. For well, we brought nothing into this world, and it is very certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be here with content. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. The Lord continues to chastise the saints for their selfishness and inequality. And in the summer of 1834, he said, quote, Behold, they have not learned to be obedient to the things which I required at their hands, but are full of all manner of evil and do not impart of their substance as become of saints to the poor and the afflicted among them and are not united according to the union required by the law of the celestial kingdom. Doctrine and Covenants, section 105, verses 3 and 4. When the saints left Independence, Missouri, and went about 50 miles north to settle far west, it was their third attempt to live the United Order. This was in 1837, and they were buying up land to again become a Zion according to the law of the Lord. Some formed the United Order Cooperative called United Firms. Some of the agricultural orders were first called Western Agricultural Company, the Eastern Agricultural Company, the Southern Agricultural Company. These farming companies would enclose about 7,000 acres of land or 12 sections and put them into grain. Three other cooperatives were organized to unite other industries with the united effort. United firms consolidated property holdings and became business companies among the saints. From the journal history of the church, the following glowing prospect was anticipated. Quote, 
All kinds of necessary articles will soon be manufactured by these firms that we may may be under the necessity of purchasing. That we may hold on here. Ugh. That we may not be under the necessity of purchasing from our enemies any surplus that may remain after paying the demands of the firm is to be divided according to the needs and wants of each family annually or oftener if needed. The operation of these firms enables a man to get a comfortable house in a very few days when he gets about it, first by working for the firm 70 to 80 days, and then the firm turns out stonecutters, teams, carpenters, masons, etc. to complete the house, and nearly everything is paid for by the man's own labor. Arrangements will soon be made that the person can get every necessity to eat, drink, live in, and to wear at the storehouse of the firm's And the best part of it all is that they want no better pay than labor. Arrangements are making that no person should have an excuse for not laboring. Nothing to do, nor shall the idle eat the bread of the industry. Journal History, November 19, 1838. Although such noble efforts were to be commended, there still arose troubles from within and from without. John Cottrell wrote, Every man was to to put in all his labor by the leasing of... Okay. Every man was to put in all his property by leasing it to the firm for the term of years. Overseers or managers were to be chosen from time to time by the members of the firm to manage the con- concerns of the same and the rest were to labor under their direction. Many joined these firms, while many others were much dissatisfied with them, which caused considerable filling and excitement in the church. And quote a brief history, John Cottrell, page 46. The saints were their own worst enemy. Because of their own weaknesses and faults, the Lord allowed them to suffer the persecution and the plundering that resulted in Missouri. Elder George Albert Smith reported, quote, The settlements in Jackson County, Missouri, were commenced on the principle of the law of consecration. There were, however, at that period, professed Latter-day Saints who did not see proper to abide in the law of consecration, they thought what thought it was their privilege to look after number one, and some of them believing that Zion was to become a very great city, and and that being the center stake of it, they purchased tracts of land in the vicinity with the intention of keep, keeping them until Zion became the beauty and the joy of the whole earth. when they thought they could sell their lands and make themselves very rich. It was probably owing to this, in part, that the Lord suffered the enemies of Zion to arise against her. End quote. Journal of Discourses, volume 17, page 59. The Missourians rose up against the Mormons and burned out 203 Mormon homes and burned or destroyed many grain, granaries and grain fields. 
They ripped out fences, tore down their printing offices and other businesses. They whipped, beat, and raped the Mormons. Over 318000 had been paid for land in Missouri, but all of it was lost to the mobs. George Albert Smith concluded that his explanation for the reason that such things occurred, quote, we have been gathered from many nations, and we have brought many notions and traditions with us, and it is, and it seems that, and it seemed that those notions and traditions could not dispense. Journal of Discourses, Volume 17, page 60. The Lord would not allow the saints to have that land if they possess such, such Gentile feelings in their hearts. The prophet Joseph Smith gave a speech at Far West, which was not only a warning to the saints then, but a prophetic warning to the saints in our day. Brethren, we are gathered to this beautiful land to build up Zion. But since I have been here, I have perceived the spirit of selfishness, covetousness, and exists in the hearts of the saints. Here are those beginning to spread out, buying up all the land that they are able to, thinking that they will lay the foundation for themselves, only looking to their individual families. Now I want to tell you that Zion cannot be built up in such a way. I see signs putting out beer signs. Speculative schemes are being introduced. This is the way of the world, Babylon indeed. And I will tell you, in the name of the God of Israel, if there is not repentance, you will be broke and scattered from this land. End quote. Edward Stevenson's autobiography, page 40. The saints were not all, all willing to consecrate. Indeed, only a few were. Brigham Young, with his sardonic wit, explained the general character of many of the saints at this time. Quote, when the revelation which I have read was given in 1838, I was present, and I recollect the feelings of the brethren. A number of revelations were given on the same day. The brethren wished me to go among the churches and find out what surplus property the people had with which to forward the building of the temple we were commencing at Far West. I accordingly went from place to place through the country. Before I started, I asked Brother Joseph, who shall be the judge of what is surplus property? said he, let them be judges of themselves, for I care not if they do not give a single dime. So far as I'm concerned, I do not want anything they have. Then I replied, I will go and ask them for their surplus property, and I did so. I found these people said that they were willing to do about as they were counseled, but upon asking them about their surplus property, most of the men who owned the land and cattle would say, I have got so many hundreds of acres of land, and I have got so many boys, and I want each one of them to have 80 acres. Therefore, this is not surplus property. And again, I have got so many girls, and I have 
and I do not believe I shall be able to give them more than 40 acres each. Well, you have got two or 300 acres left. Yes, but I have a brother-in-law coming on, and he will depend on me for a living. My wife's nephew is also coming on. He is poor, and he shall have to furnish him a farm after he arrives here. I would go on to the next one, and he would have more land and cattle than could than he could make use of to advantage. It is la- a, a laughable idea, but is nevertheless But it is nevertheless true. Men would tell me they were young and beginning beginning in the world and would say, we have no children, but our prospects are good. And we think we shall have a family of children. And if we do, we want to give them 80 acres of land each. We have no surplus property. How many cattle have you? So many. How many horses, etc.? So many. But I have made provision for all these, and I have use for everything I have got. Some were disposed to do right with their surplus property, and once in a while you would find a man who had a cow which he considered surplus. But generally, she was the class that would would kick a person's hat off, or eyes out, or the wolves had eaten off her teeth. You would once in a while find a man who had a horse that he considered surplus, but at the same time, he had a ring bone and was broken-winded, spavine, I don't know what that means, let me see if I can find the definition for that, spavine, a disorder of a horse's hawk or a bone spurvy. I still don't know what that means, but that's okay. So uh, the horse had spavined in both legs, had the pole evil at one end of the neck and the fistula at the other. What the heck's a fistula? Hey, we're learning together. A fistula is an abnormal or surgically made passage between a, a hollow or tubular organ and the body surface or between two hollow or tubular organs. Okay. And both knees sprung. This is the description of the surplus property that some would ha- would offer to the Lord. Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 307. In Missouri, the commanding general, John W. Clark, told the Mormons that if they would renounce their religion, they could remain in their land. Also, an edict of banishment was issued by the government of the state, Wilbur W. Boggs, and and was executed by Clark with an army to carry it out. The Lord said, quote, Zion cannot be built up unless it is by the principle of the law of the celestial kingdom. Otherwise, I cannot receive her unto myself. And nay, people must needs be chastened until they learn obedience, if it needs be by the things which they suffer. Doctrine and Covenants, section 105, verses 5 and 6. 
The Saints suffered severely, more perhaps than than they should have, but nevertheless they would not yield to the laws of God. The Lord also said, quote, Behold, I say unto you, there were jarrings and contentions and envyings and strifes and lustful and covetous desires among them. Therefore, by these things, they have polluted their inheritance. Doctrine and Covenants, section 101, verse 6. Not only did the saints begin to suffer from their own weaknesses, but they had troubles with those who apostatized. Parley P. Pratt said, quote, In all the general persecutions from that time to the present, I do not recollect of a single instance that the general storm was not brought about by men from among ourselves professing the name and the membership and the priesthood of Latter-day Saints, traitors to the cause that they professed to believe. This was the direct means of suffering and the breaking up of the community in the uh, in Kirtland, Ohio, of the breaking up of the community in and the expulsion of them from the state of Missouri. Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, page 85. Persecution continued in far west, and the Mormons were driven out again, leaving nearly a half a million dollars in property and goods. In January of 1839, the Saints left for Illinois to make another settlement. During the next five years, Nauvoo grew and developed into one of the largest and most important cities in the state of Illinois. About 25,000 Mormons settled this swampy land to make it almost a self-sustaining community. Work on a temple began, and along with the construction of, the, of a church building, a hotel, and the Nauvoo House. In Nauvoo, the church began the organization of the Nauvoo Agricultural and Manufacturing Society, a joint stock system of ownership. In two years, the city had a tool factory, foundry, flour mill, sawmill, and a steamboat. Church members were required to individually contribute one-tenth of their possessions and one-tenth of their annual increase. Those who had little or no money were required to donate one day in ten for the church, uh, and they called it a labor tithing. In January of 1840, during the time that the saints were settling Nauvoo, Patriarch John Smith wrote from the Iowa Territory to his son, George Albert Smith, quote, We, speaking of the saints in the Iowa Territory, have voted to organize after the order of the law of consecration is given in the doctrine and covenants of the church. But there are some ad- objections to that order at Nauvoo. I have debated in public with some of their champions, and they acknowledge the justice of our proceedings, yet we learn that they are not all satisfied. What will be the event, I know not, but one thing is evident. His satanic majesty has been trotting across the river back and forth all winter to prevent the saints from keeping the law of the Lord, and many are led by the Spirit and seem to love to have it so. 
Doctrines of the Kingdom by Hiram Anders, page 258. The disorganized and and conflict among the saints, apostates and half-apostates, were a constant problem for the Nauvoo settlement. Under such stress and a realization that they would be there only temporarily, Joseph said that the Nauvoo that Nauvoo would not be able to live the United Order. The following statement is taken from the minutes of the Iowa High Council. The law of consecration could not be kept here, and that is what that it was the will of the Lord that we should desist from trying to keep it, and if I pers- and if persisted in. If it would produce a perfect defeat of its objects, and that he assumed that the whole responsibility of not keeping it until proposed by himself, Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 4, pages 93 and 94. This reprieve was short-lived, however, for in January 1847, the Lord told Brigham Young in Iowa to organize the saints into companies with a covenant and promise to keep all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, and that each company bear an equal proportion according to the dividend of their property. Doctrine and Covenants, section 136, verse 8. However, many years later, some of the apostles and saints throughout the uh, thought that the law of the United Order had been again suspended replaced or revoked. And that's really weird because God never abrogates and does away with anything that he commands, especially if it's eternal. How can he? Because it's eternal and it's the law of God in heaven. So in order to build Zion, we have to live the law of God on earth. Anyway, continuing on, Orson Pratt also held to the idea that the Lord had revoked it in ancient times, and he had done so in our day. Journal of Discourses, Volume 16, Verse 5. However, when he finished his sermon, Brigham Young arose and said that the Lord Almighty has not the least object in our world to our entering into a united order of Enoch. I will stand between the people and all, uh, all harm in this. Journal of Discourses, Volume 16, page 8. The Lord never prevented any man from living the gospel when they were worthy. How similar the law of the United Order is to the law of plural marriage. Some of Joseph's high council, several apostles, and the majority of the saints could not accept either of these doctrines. Both of both are laws which are only a few which only a few are worthy and willing to obey. Because the saints failed to keep the commandments of the Lord, they were forced more than once to leave their homes, their lands, and their temples. Now they had to leave the United States to wander in the desert wilderness to try again to live the gospel and the way the Lord, the way the Lord had revealed it. So that's the end of that chapter. Uh, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. If we have any callers, they can call now. Push 1 if you want to come on the air. 
and I'll bring you into the call screening room and ask you what your question or comment is, and then I will answer it after I'm done reading this preview. If we don't have any calls, then we will just uh, we'll just go forth with the music for the end of the show. So the next program we're going to be t- uh, covering Chapter 7 of United Order, starting on page 85, Israel's Journey in the Wilderness. So I'll give the preview, which is basically reading just the first page of that. If you have any questions or comments, like I said, call 917-889-8827. There's also a chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon, and you can listen to the reruns of this at... Uh, on iTunes podcasts, just search Fundamentally Mormon. All right, we'll start with the the preview for tomorrow's show, or for the next show. Israel's journey in the wilderness. I saw that this people would have to flee into the mountains and into a climate and country that the Gentiles would not desire. If we are not in such a place, I do not know where we will find one more desirable than this. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 3, page 210. After the saints were driven from the United States, they camped in the uh, the Iowa Territory. This was their first stepping stone towards their new home in the desert. It was here that the Twelve Apostles adopted numerous families until Israel was divided into twelve tribes or companies. As in ancient Israel, they were going into the wilderness where no one had suspected they would survive. Similarly, they landed near a large body of salty water, which joined a small fresh-watered lake. They, too, would call the river, joining the river, joining them the River Jordan. After the rulership of Moses, Joshua, and several other leaders, the Lord's kingdom was finally established, and only the Only then did they enjoy peace, power, and prosperity with the Lord manifesting his pleasure in them. This will be repeated, but the day of the deliverance is yet in the future. So that's the end of the preview. Um, Just got to say something real quick. There are people who are trying to get people to gather to the center place, to Jackson County, Missouri, or to Nauvoo, or to other places. Um, The only problem I have with that is the fact that Isaiah saw the remnant of the house of Israel being gathered in the highways of the top of the mountains and in the desert places, which geography is nowhere mentioned. Uh, It doesn't match Missouri. God knew that this was going to happen, and Isaiah saw in vision the gathering of Israel as Babylon collapsed. And he saw that the remnant or the residue of the people would be gathering together to the Davidic servant in the highways of the top of the mountains and in the desert places. That's because when Babylon falls, the people who who will be safe will be gathered in the highways of the top of the mountains and in the desert places. I and four other individuals two of whom I know, and then one is Kevin Kraut's friend. We've all received specific revelations to gather northwest of Lake Powell uh, when Babylon falls. Now, I have been commanded to 
in 2016, I was commanded to leave Spanish Fork. So let me give you a little bit of a timeline. In 2013, my wife and I and our two kids moved from New Hampshire, upstate New Hampshire, a little town called Lisbon by Littleton and Franconia, out to out to Utah. We lived in Roosevelt for a little while with some friends while I was able to uh, work out of North Salt Lake as a truck driver for, for FedEx. We got a little townhouse and we lived there for a couple of years. And and in that time, I um, I decided to come off the road and to work for the post office in Provo, Utah. And my job was to take the mail from Provo, Utah, the the postal service uh, distribution center there on East Bay, and drive it down to Price, Utah, and uh, in Carbon. And I delivered all the mail for Carbon County to Price, Utah. And then I unloaded my semi-truck and I loaded it on a box truck to deliver the rest of the mail to Emory County. Now, sometimes I would go... Uh, on a route on the weekends down to Moab and Monticello and all of that down there. But for the most part, my job was to deliver the mail to Carbon and, and Emory Counties. Well, in 2016, God commanded me to leave Spanish Fork, Utah, and to move to Emory County and to wait there and God told me to let other people know that they needed to leave the populated areas and to gather to Emory County, Utah. Now, only one person, well, actually, nobody listened to me. However, my mother did leave populated areas, and she moved down to uh, Fairview, which is on the other side of the mountain, but not to Emory County. And then I had another friend who left Provo and he moved down to Sunnyside, which is in Carbon, which is closer, I guess, but it still wasn't Emory County. So nobody really listened to my the, the revelation that God gave me on moving to Emory County. However, God told me to warn all people to leave the populated areas and to move to Emory County, Utah's gathering place. He also told me to remain where I met in Emory County until the time became too dangerous to remain and then to go down the highways to the top of the mountains into a place northwest of Lake Powell, which is Escalante National Forest, I guess. I don't even know if you could call it a forest. And he gave me a very specific place to gather to, which I will not name just out on on the air. But uh, he told Kevin Kraut, and I actually told Kevin Kraut, I was like, God told me to do this. And he said, oh, well, God told me to do that too. And I know of another individual who received the same revelation. And then I was talking to Eugene Richardson, who is also one of my friends, and he... Uh, told me that he received the same revelation, but he wasn't specific about where exactly he should gather to, and he thought Bullfrog, Utah, would be a good area, but he wasn't sure. I was given specifics about where to take myself to and to gather the people to, which 
uh, I have shared with some, and I will not share with all, but uh, the gathering place as the destruction of this nation happens is Escalante National Forest, uh, specifically close to the Escalante River northwest of Lake Powell. So anyway, we've gathered down here. We bought a 10-acre farm. We raised goats, and we are waiting for the time. And God told me I will know when the time is, and then we'll have to go down there. So, And I'm not really looking forward to that because I don't like camping, but I would rather go camping, <laughs> surviving, uh, surviving <laughs> in the wilderness than to be part of the scourge that is about to come up over this land. And God has told me many times to let the wicked kill the wicked and to have nothing to do with their wars or their riots or any of that. So anyway, uh, with that being said, uh, this is the end of the reading. And uh, as you may well know, I pre-recorded this before the live show. However, the live show is on now and we are listening to it. And if we have any callers... We will take their calls now. Now, if we don't, I'll go straight to the music, and I probably won't say anything. But uh, this is the only way I can do the reading and beyond at 8 p.m. So we try to go on 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, every day, Monday through Thursday. And uh, so this is the program for... Tuesday, uh, September 14th, I believe. Anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. Take care. So, uh, after I recorded this earlier today, or no, yesterday I recorded it, um, I came across a, a YouTube video that I enjoy. Um, I subscribe to a bunch of channels and I listen to them randomly when I'm driving. And this is a podcast. There's no video or anything um, for this specific YouTube video, but whatever. Anyway, um, I really enjoyed listening to this and I thought that it would be beneficial to share it on the air. So Emmett, uh, real quick, is there anybody in the studio or in the chat room? Nope. Okay, all right, I'll mute myself and go ahead and play Truth Fed, and everybody can find that by searching Truth Fed on YouTube, and he does a lot of really good videos, uh, teachings and stuff, and this one is one of his recent ones. All right, go ahead and play the clip, Emmett. Thank you.
and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean, your host. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. Well, this morning, um, I'm not really sure where I'm actually going with our message for this morning, uh, but there's been some things uh, for the last day, 24 hours or so, that I just have uh, been thoughts that have just been coming into my mind and into my heart and things that I want to talk about. And so I've got several windows pulled up on my computer, and we're just going to work through some scriptures today, most of which is actually going to come out of the book of Revelation. I do know what I think the general theme of today's conversation is going to be, and that is is that you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. God is a God of balances. He is a God of justice, a God of measurement. You reap what you sow. Let me start with Ecclesiastes because I want to start with this theme that I've been kind of going on for the last two years. Really since the chaos that we are currently dealing with started. And we've seen the nefariousness of it, the wickedness of it, the evilness of it. And I've talked about how, hey, these people that that have done this to humanity, that have done this to the world what they've got coming is going to be terrible. And in fact, the ditches that they've dug to put us in, they themselves are going into them. Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes, one of the books of wisdom that we've covered in the past. It says this, verse 8, chapter 10, He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it, and whosoever breaketh a hedge a serpent shall bite him. It's this idea that you're going to get what's coming to you. And when you do these evil things, like you premeditate these evil plans, especially when you're premeditating evil plans for God's people, you've got it coming to you. And so my goal this morning is to give you some encouragement Um, And also to challenge you in some areas, there's some things I might say today that are going to offend some people, but that's nothing new. God is a God of balances, and you reap which is so. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. By the way, here's a great memory verse. If you've thought about, hey, I want to start memorizing scripture, here's a great one to start with because it's easy. Galatians 6, 7, 8. Galatians 6, 7, 8, which says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth in his flesh shall shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall reap the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. 
these people who have done what they have done, who've conjured up all this stuff, who perpetuate lies through the television, who poison and murder, this ditch that they've dug, they're going into it. They're going into it. Again, God is a God of balances and he's a God of scales and precision. We're going to read uh, Revelation 18 about Mystery Babylon because I'm going to continue to make this point. But I want to start with, remember in the book of Daniel, when judgment came to Babylon and the, you, the famous story of the hand writing on the wall, right? In Daniel, in Daniel chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, it says, And this is the writing that was written. Meany, meany, tekel, upharsen. This is the interpretation of the thing. Meany, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. I don't have the scripture in front of me, but when God's talking about how he's going to send the Israelites into Canaan and to, to rid the land of the Canaanites, he, he says, you know, I've... And I'm paraphrasing, I've been waiting for the fullness of their sin to come in. Right? There's a, God has a measurement. When that, think of it like a cup. When the cup is full, he takes that full of sin, full of iniquity, full of evil. He takes that cup that the people have been filling up and storing up and then he dumps it right back on top of them. All the things that they had stored up, all the evil that they had done comes crashing back on them fourfold, tenfold. The perfect example and the most relevant example to the time that we're living in is dealing with Mystery Babylon. So when we go to Revelation 18, let's just start reading it. It says, and after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through her abundance and of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven. Here's the part I'm getting at. We're talking about how God measures it, how when it's full, when the, the iniquity's full, then the judgment comes. And the judgment is the very thing that they did to others, that they stored up. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Verse 6, reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. It's a reaping of what you've sown. Mystery Babylon is going to be annihilated with the very evils 
that they poured out, that Babylon poured out on the world. Verse 7, here's more description. How much she hath glorified herself and, de- and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and I shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, and mourning, and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. That judgment's coming in one day. Just one day, boom. She's going to be burned with fire. And all the ways that she lived lavishly, right? Deliciously, deciviously. The the way that she just had all the abundance and wealth and riches at the expense of other nations around the world, at the expense of other peoples around the world, that's all coming back on her. That's all coming back on her. In the same way that she lived in luxury, that is the level of torment that she's going to receive. And one of the reasons is because she thinks to herself that nothing could ever happen. I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and I shall see no sorrow. This is why over the years I have speculated that Mr. Babylon could be the United States of America. The United States of America could be the new Rome of the end times. And there's so many, we're not going to dig into it today, but there's just so many ways that that works. Um, But there's other reasons to believe it's not. There's reasons to believe that it's literally the, uh, the great city, which would be Jerusalem. Some think it's a revived Roman Empire. I think if we're going to go that route, America is the revived Roman Empire. Nevertheless, here's what we know. This place sits as a queen and thinks nothing could ever happen to me. The, The nations of the world get rich and the merchants of the earth get rich from the abundance and her, uh, lavish living she's a fornicator which the only reason the only way you can for and an adulterer and the only way you can really kind of become that in god's eyes is if you you were once committed to him and then you go whoring after false gods or after wickedness just something to be thinking about but the point is is that god is a god of measurement he is a god of justice and so he's keeping tabs, and he's, that cup is being filled. And when that cup is full, he's going to pour it out on Babylon, and it's going to be double what she did. I mean, if we think about the evil that's going on that these people are doing right now, I mean, we, we can go down the laundry list of things that they have done that we're not allowed to even say without being censored and canceled and all of that and it's so beyond evil that's all coming back on these people that's all coming back on these people they're going to pay for what they have done notice God says come out of her my people a lot of people speculate what does that mean 
and I don't have all the answers other than to say I think I think there's two possibilities and they could both be true. Number one, come out of her means in a spiritual sense, meaning you step away from the ways of Babylon. You stop participating in the type of entertainment that Babylon wants to feed you. You, you know, you withdraw from the apostasy. You, you no longer participate with those things. You're no longer a part of that system. And then I think there could be a supernatural coming out where God brings his people out so that they kind of like the days of Lot scenario. Right, And Jesus makes a point to make sure we understand that it'll be like the days of Lot and Noah, right? And what happened with Lot? Lot was, angels came and literally took him by the hand because he was messing around, almost not refusing to go. And they're like, we can't do our thing till you're out of here. And they grab him by the hand and they take him out of the city and then fire and brimstone rain down. And so it could be a supernatural situation like that. Again, today the goal is not to break down all of this dealing with Babylon, other than just to say, reap what you sow. All that's evil that's been done, it's all coming back. It's all coming back. And then there's a great, and then there's the final way that it's all coming back. When we start talking about eternal consequences not only are they going to pay in this life but they're going to pay for all eternity and so we have two things that are going to happen the righteous those who the, those who mourn those who those who have suffered this evil they're going to and, and have trusted in jesus have trusted in christ as their salvation they are going into an eternal kingdom and the others are going into a lake of fire. Now, because we've heard this forever, uh, we've kind of grown numb to this, just how insanely terrible this is. It's unfathomable to think of literally being tormented, literally burning, that never ends. And worse, there's no hope that it ever ends. It never, ever ends. This is how serious it is. And people don't take their salvation seriously. And they don't, they don't understand how desperate the consequences really are. We're talking it never, ever ends. Let's read Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 through 15. Here's what's coming to the devil and to the false prophets and all these evil who have rejected Christ and have tormented the world. Starting with verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne in him that sat on it, whose face, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. There was no place, and there was no, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. 
And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Now, real quick, this is like the final moments, right? Everybody's boom. Resurrected, brought before God. Even the people who are currently in what we would call Hades right now, where they're being tormented, awaiting their final judgment. It's kind of like you commit a crime, you go to jail, and you await your date for a trial, right? Except in instance, this instance, they already know. They already know the outcome. So they have no hope right now as they're in Hades awaiting the final day. Then they're brought out. Okay, and we just read that, and every man is judged according to his works. It said the sea gave up the dead, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works, verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of the fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If your name's not in the book of life, that's where the future is. Let's move on to Revelation 21, the next chapter here. Verses 1 through 8. This is the good news, but it's got some... It's, it's good news for us, but there's some severe warnings as well. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God and God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away and he that sat upon the throne said behold I make all things new and he said unto me write for these are the words true and faithful and he said unto me it is done I am the Aleph, the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give unto him that a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But, here's the but, the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire with bur which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Did you catch that list? Let's start with the very first thing on the list. These are the people going into the lake of fire, which is the second death. The fearful. This is interesting to me. This is those who lack faith. Listen, there's a lot of people who've succumbed to the fear. And things, things are bad, but they're not as bad as tribulation times. They're not as bad as when the wrath is poured out. They're not as bad as when the Antichrist is literally ruling and the mark of the beast is on the line. But here's the thing. 
And here's where I'm going to upset and offend a lot of people. There's a lot of people that have succumbed to the fear of the situation we're in now, and they've taken the world's solution to that fear, and they're buying into what the sorcerers of our day are telling them. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm looking at these people, by the way, they're also the very ones condemning everyone else. How dare you not do this? If you're unable to resist the fear of this day, and you're unable to resist taking the solutions this day because of peer pressure or because of whatever, how would, how would you ever resist the mark of the beast? Seriously. Going back to Mystery Babylon, because I brought up sorcerers. It's, when we go back to chapter 18, and it's um, giving a description of Babylon, what she's like. Verse 23, and it says, The light of the candle shall shine, shall shine no more in thee. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all the nations deceived. So all the nations are deceived by Babylon through thy sorceries. And as I've covered before, the word sorceries there is the Greek word pharmakia. That's where we get our word pharmaceutical. So if, if it's by the pharmaceuticals, if it's by the pharmakia that the nations are deceived, if that's what the sorcery is, then who are the sorcerers? I'll let you think on that for a little while. Those sorcerers who are using sorcery to deceive the nations are going into the lake of fire. I mean, am I, am I out of line here by making that connection? If, if the nations are deceived by sorceries, and that's the sin of Babylon, and it says here that the sorcerers are going into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Now listen. Let me just make it clear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying if you've ever been afraid and made a mistake or made a decision out of fear and lack of faith that you're not saved. If you've trusted in Jesus, even if you are part of the problem, but you have trusted in Christ and you're, you're saved, all those who believe upon his name, believe that he died for our sins and then three days later God rose him from the dead shall be saved I'm talking about those godless people who are doing and bringing this evil upon the world the sorcerers the murderers the whoremongers the unbelieving notice it says the fearful and unbelieving that's the same thing you're fearful because you lack faith. Unbelieving. 
those who reject God. In fact, I don't have it pulled up, but when we read through the book of Revelation, it's very clear that the world knows who's doing this. They're gnawing on their tongues because of the pain that they're dealing with, and it says they refuse to repent. They know. Listen, according to the book of Revelation, if we take it in a literal sense, there's angels that fly through the sky warning preaching the gospel, giving warnings. You have the 144,000. The message is being clearly put out there. Everyone knows who's pouring out this judgment, and yet they mock God. They refuse to repent. I don't really believe in atheists. I believe those who say there is no God know better. They just don't like God, and they want to believe there is no God. Scriptures say the cross sounds like foolishness to those who are perishing. The cross sounds like foolishness to those who are perishing. I want to circle back around, because I feel like I'm getting down too many rabbit holes here, and sometimes that causes more confusion than... You reap what you sow. You know, even in the end times, the people that have participated in the evil like we've been talking about, if you go to Revelation chapter 13 verse 10, it says, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. In other words, the people who are doing this, who are forcing people into captivity and killing people, they're going to they're going to reap exactly what they've done. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. In other words, be comforted by this, knowing they're getting what's coming. What does Jesus tell Peter? Right? Peter draws a sword to try to defend Jesus, and he says, and then Jesus said to him in Matthew chapter twenty six, verse sixty two. Put up again thy sword into thy place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. If you live by it, you die by it. You reap what you sow. If that's where your trust is, it's going to backfire. All this judgment is coming. And the vengeance belongs to the Lord. All we need to do is seek him, continue to share the gospel, continue to pray, continue to repent of sin, and to be found doing his work when the trumpet blasts. He's going to take care of the vengeance. He's going to take care of righting all the wrongs. And then on the last day, like we read, he's going to wipe the tears from our eyes. There's going to be no more pain, no more suffering. And all these wicked people that have done all this are going into the lake of fire. Deuteronomy chapter 32. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time. God has a specific time when he's going to do all this. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. Paul reminds us of this in chapter 12 of the book of Romans when he's telling us how we are to walk as Christians. He says, recompense no man evil for evil. In other words, you don't take vengeance. You don't pay them back. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as it lieth with you, 
live peaceably with all men. In other words, as much as it relies on you, you do everything you can to be at peace. Verse 19, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You reap what you sow. They're going to fall into their own pit. Be not discouraged. There's coming a day when we're going to see a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And God is going to live amongst us and be our God and wipe away our tears. There'll be no more death, no more crying, no more pain. He's going to make all things new. And those of us who overcome shall inherit all things, and he will be our God, and we will be his sons. And here's also the good news, is even in the midst of all this, when God's pouring out judgment and he's, he knows how to preserve his people. Let's finish by going to Second Peter. Second Peter, Peter chapter 2, let's just read nine verses and then we'll wrap it up for the day. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow, follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels of sin, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy con conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to do it. He knows how to preserve you while still reserving the unjust for judgment. You do not need to be afraid. Does it mean we're going to be comfortable? No. Does it mean we're going to be happy to see the world falling in pieces around us as it is right now? No, of course not. It's stressful and at times fearful. But we have to remember that fear is the absence of faith. We've got to replace that with faith. We've got to replace that with faith. The unbelieving, the ungodly, those who reject Christ, reject God, they have a reason to live in fear because they have no hope. You are not supposed to live like you have no hope. They have no hope. They have to trust in the world's solutions. You don't have to. You have God. You don't have to be afraid all the time. They should be afraid. 
Because when this is all over, the unbelieving, the liars, they're going into the lake of fire. You're going into New Jerusalem. So don't be afraid and stop stressing over these wicked people. They're, they're, their day is coming. If we're supposed to pray for them because they need the Lord. They, they really have no hope. Their future is horrible. What's coming for them is unthinkable. But not you. Not those of you who have trusted in Messiah. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, and the murderers, and the whoremongers, and the sorcerers, and the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire with burn, which, in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I hope you've been blessed this morning. I know that this this was kind of a chaotic podcast and I was kind of all over the place. I just had so many thoughts and things going on right now. But the whole point I was trying to make is that you don't need to be afraid. You reap what you sow. So sow righteousness, right? Just like we read from our uh, tour portion last week, choose life. I said, he told Moses, I, Moses told the people, I said before you, life and death, choose life. Choose life. Trust in Jesus. Let go. Take up your cross and follow him. There's nothing, this world has nothing for us. We're sojourners in a foreign land. We have a mission. Everybody's like, I don't know what my purpose is. Your purpose is to be the salt and the light to this world. Your purpose is to share the good news of Jesus. Your purpose is to walk that out in front of others so that they will see your good works and glorify God. That is your purpose. I just want to end by saying, you know, I'm very grateful to be able to do this podcast. Uh, I'm so grateful and thankful to have this work that the Lord has given me and you guys have supported it over the years and made it possible, and it's just, it's a great blessing to me. It's a great blessing to me to be able to do this and to study the Word and to share ideas, and I definitely don't get it all right. And I, and I get nervous when I do messages like this where I'm kind of off the cuff because I fear that I will say something that it'll come out in, in a way that I don't mean and people will take it the wrong way and I don't want to lead anybody wrong and it's hard. But I'm grateful to be able to do it. And, I, and my hope, my prayer is that one day I'll stand before God and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. But it'll be because you guys helped me make it possible. So thank you for praying. Thank you for supporting it. Thank you for sharing it. I hope you've been blessed this morning. I hope I've given you some things to think about, some things to study. My job is not to tell you everything. My job is to stir a hunger within you and to let you, and to share the good news, which is that Christ was crucified. He died. God rose him from the third day. And if you believe you believe you will also be resurrected in the last days and you don't have to be afraid of what's coming because you were not appointed to wrath 
And God knows how to preserve the righteous out of temptation. That's what the scriptures say. And he's a God of justice and a God of balance. And the scales are found a little uneven, right? They're way, things have been weighed in the balances and it's found wanting. We're at a place where I feel like because God is who he is, because he is, is a righteous and holy God, he's going to have to do something soon because this is unsustainable. There has to be judgment or there has to be revival, but God is going to have to do something because of who he is and because of, who, because of his nature. And so I'm looking and hoping with expectation, waiting on the Lord. All right, I've rambled on enough. Uh, thank you for listening. Peace and grace be with all of you. Until next time, God bless. Go ahead and unmute mom and uh, tell me if we have anybody in the studio or in the chat room. Yeah, there's definitely no one in the studio or the chat room. Okay, Uh, you need to find that headset because it's really hard to hear you. Um, Anyway, um, mom, did you have anything to say before we end the program for tonight? Um, I could do what you do and say, no, not really, but <laughs> um, I do like, um, I'm sorry, I forgot his name already. Um, the truth yep. guy? Yeah. So I Hot have him man. also as a friend on, on Facebook. And actually, I think I follow him on, uh, what is that, TikTok? I don't know. I'm not like on all the things, but. I uh, I actually do like some of the things he says, um, and he has a different way of explaining things. So um, even though I didn't hear a ton of what you had put out there tonight, I did. I was listening to all of his stuff um, because it's different and new. And so um, just so that the listening audience is like listening and you know understands, um, I've been married to my husband for nine years, and a lot of things that he studies um, and that he talks about, I know because he talks to me about it and then when he does new things then I'm interested because I'm like oh it's new and it's different but a lot of times I'm like okay I just have it on in the background you know so I can help you and edit or whatever but when you have new people that I haven't listened to then I'm like oh I'm interested (laughs) so it sounds kind of funny but yeah I do like him I like the way that he presents the material and um, I think he's genuinely trying to do the work just like you are so i appreciate him so do i and i've been listening to this guy for years and uh you know he's got a lot of really good teaching and endless lists kind of like myself (laughs) right (laughs) yeah you know when we do it every day for year and year after year after year it tends to stack up 
we don't do it every day, but anyway, um, the only two things that I would say, uh, I could say more, but the only two things that I would bring up is that a lot of people believe in the salvation of grace. And while it is by grace that we are saved, we are also judged for our work. And our works are following and keeping God's commandments. Um, can you hear me? I don't know if I'm breaking up or not. Nope, it's me. I'm fine. Um, what did you say? Uh, I heard, what did you say, and it's me, I'm fine. <laughs> Hello? No, I we can hear you okay. I'm just, uh, so it's past bedtime, and um, I um, have kids who are in my room sleeping, so I had to, like, move them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm like, uh, so Amberly, she doesn't feel good. She didn't feel good at school today and then she slept she fell asleep on my floor in my classroom and I had to wake her up to bring her home and then she slept on the way home and then when she got here she said she was going to go to bed and I was like okay she slept all until about oh maybe an hour ago maybe an hour and like 10 minutes ago she slept that long then she woke up crying because she had a headache and then, yeah. um, then she went well, and laid back up, down and fell asleep. I was like getting, <laughs> I was getting dressed, and I was like almost done getting ready to walk out of the room. And she comes walking in. Mom says I can sleep in here. I'm like, uh, you need to hold on a minute until I'm done, and then you can if you want to. So, <laughs> poor kid. She's our six-year-old for the listening audience. Um, okay, yeah. so works. Works and grace. Um, there's a lot of churches out there that are deceitful, uh, and I don't blame them too much because it's what they were taught. And people read the scriptures and they can't see what it says because of what they were taught, um, you know, it, it, it blinds them because they believe the lie of the false doctrine that they're taught. But um, so you've got works. And it talks about that, that we will be all judged for our work. And that's in the book of Revelation. And then um, the tribulation time period, a lot of people believe in the pre-trib rapture. But the scriptures say that when he comes, we will be caught up in the air to meet him. In Greek, that word meet, it means to go up to to meet an arriving dignitary, which means that we go up to greet him and then we come straight back. It's not excuse me, it's not that we go up and then the whole earth has all these seven years of tribulation or three and a half years, which is what the mid-trip of people believe. But it's that we are caught up to meet him and then we come back with him. That's what that means in the Greek. And in the book of Isaiah, it talks about our day, and it talks about a remnant, a tenth of a tenth, will be called the remnant, and they will be left 
to wander, uh, to be led by the Davidic servant in the tops of the mountains and in the desert places. So I'm not going to fear um, this time that's coming because I know God has, he has created a spot which he created at the beginning of the creation of this earth and it has been there the whole time for us to gather and Isaiah saw us gathering in the highway up the top of the mountains and in the desert places and that is Escalante National Monument for those who are interested and anyway so um, I am at the top of Barrel Hill and I know I'm going to break up so if there's anything else that you want to say then go ahead and if not, uh, we can end the program and uh, continue to mute this. I can know what you want to. Well, uh, I think I'm going to cue the music because I don't have anything to say, and I think Mom doesn't either because she's going to do stuff. Um, okay. Okay, well, we'll be back on tomorrow with Chapter 7, which I have pre-recorded already. And um, I'll work on Chapter 8 tomorrow so that it'll be pre-recorded as well. That way I can, uh, you know, read it and have it for the program for tomorrow. As always, you can find the text to the reading at uh, facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. If you're interested in hearing these things, uh, friend request to me and make me a close friend, or you can just follow me on Facebook. You can also follow my page, Zion's Redemption Radio Network, or Zion's Redemption Bookstore, or LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, or LDS Gospel Mystery. I post the text in all those places, and you can go to ogdencrowd.com to read this book by yourself. And uh, read the whole thing in its entirety there for free. And uh, thank you, Kim, and thank you, Emma, for manning the studio tonight. And I will talk to everyone later. Have a good night, everyone. Take care. God bless. And goodbye.